Jarntown 911, where's your emergency? Deadly gunshots haunted Memphis for seven long years. The voice you can barely make out at the beginning of that 911 call belonged to Memphis basketball star Lorenzen Wright. No more talk. Only thing you was gunshots. Pow, 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 pow. No one would ever hear from Lorenzen again. The last time anyone in her family saw the 6'11 former NBA player was Sunday night. Sunday, July 18th, 2010. He got out of the car and we shook hands and I said, I will call me later. And that was about 10 o'clock and I left. And that was the last I saw him. He just all of a sudden magically disappears. A massive search began for the former University of Memphis standout and NBA star. I can't pinpoint nowhere he could be that I don't know where he is. Everyone would soon learn Lorenzen had made that desperate call for help, but help never arrived. He called while he was being murdered. Someone didn't do their job. Ten days later, on July 28th, a missing persons case became a murder investigation. Lorenzen Wright's mother runs toward investigators trying to learn more. A memory that still haunts Memphians to this day. You know, you see the you see the image of Deborah running down that, that gravel road, running to where the, they found his body. Lorenzen Wright had been shot multiple times. Two to the head, two to the chest, and one to the forearm. His body left in a wooded field in southeast Memphis. By the time cadaver dogs found him in the scorching July heat, the once 6'11", 255-pound NBA center weighed just 57 pounds. That ain't them, though. That hurt me the most. A father, NBA superstar. The Los Angeles Clippers select Lorenzen Wright from the University of Memphis. And hometown hero was gone. Once again, the crowd came to see Lorenzen Wright at the FedEx Forum. But this time, in place of a goal, was a casket. The, the city cried, you know, for days. What remained, though, for years to come, were questions surrounding the basketball star's disappearance and death. A family and community seeking justice for Lorenzen. He wasn't hit by a car, you know. He didn't have a heart attack. He was murdered, and it may have been by someone who was supposed to love him. Lord, please get Cheryl Robinson. Please get Cheryl Robinson for killing my son. I'm Zanetta Lowe. And I'm April Thompson. This is Killing Lorenzen. Love. Basketball. Murder. An original in-depth podcast about the life and death of Memphis basketball star Lorenzen Wright and Shara Wright, the woman who vowed to love him, now sitting in prison for masterminding her ex-husband's murder. We are veteran investigative reporters for WREG-TV in Memphis. Our station covered Lorenzen from his high school and college basketball days. It means a lot to me, you know. I want to come out and give everybody a good showing of me my first time out and have a good game and, and a win. To becoming the seventh overall pick in the 1996 draft. The Los Angeles Clippers select Lorenzen Wright from the University of Memphis. It was a very big surprise. You know, I had no idea that was, LA was going to pick me. But in 2010, our coverage went from basketball to murder. We followed the Lorenzen Wright murder for nine years, from the crime scene to the courtroom. But Lorenzen's story and the path that led him to that fateful moment nine years ago began long before that night. So that's where we begin. 
This is episode one, Oxford. Before there was the NBA, years before the University of Memphis, and before Lorenzen Wright ever stepped on a basketball court, there was a 16-year-old girl who had no idea she was pregnant. Because he had been telling me, like, for about a month. And I was like, oh, yeah, right. Ain't nothing. I don't feel no different. I ain't getting no weight, no. The person most synonymous with Lorenzen's story is his mother, Deborah Marion. She's kept his murder case in the forefront since the day he was found dead. She was the one who suspected foul play from the outset. Deborah Marion has gone through pain no parent wants to feel. But she is determined to not let Lorenzen's story die. She tells it every chance she gets. So before we even decided to do this podcast, we sat down with Deborah, actually more than once. We've interviewed her many times over the years, and she welcomed us into her home. We are rolling. I was about to say ladies and gentlemen, because we always... (laughs) (laughs) But it's just the ladies this morning. Uh, Deborah, thank you so much for uh, spending some more time with us. It was early morning, and Deborah had just gotten up. She has medium brown skin, wears glasses, and she's tall, like six feet tall. And what you should know about Deborah is she's a straight shooter, a tell-it-like-it-is kind of woman, pulling no punches. So that's how most of our conversations flowed. Bye, Felicia. For real. We sat down at the kitchen table of her small home, much different than the spacious one Lorenzen bought her during his NBA days. But that home is long gone. In fact, Deborah was on the verge of eviction from this one until a community rally helped raise the money for her to pay the rent. Her home is small, but all around it are pictures of her children and plenty of Lorenzen's playing days, including trophies and awards. I see I'm graduating from kindergarten. Yes, kindergarten, huh? The pictures are her memories. That was for his birthday party, for his 26th, 27th birthday party. Deborah Lorraine Vassar was only 16 years old when she had Lorenzen in November of 1975, a month shy of her 17th birthday. And girl, when I got pregnant, my mom almost had a nerve breakdown. But check this out. I got pregnant. I went to the doctor one day. I had the baby the next day. Pregnancy was not what Deborah's mom, Louise Vassar, expected. Not from Deborah, who she depended on to help take care of the rest of the family. Deborah was the oldest of Irvy Lee and Mary Louise Vassar's four children. You got to get them ready for school in the morning, get them breakfast done, make sure their clothes clean, all that. It fell on Deborah to make sure the household was taken care of while her mom Louise worked outside the home. And she was so sweet, and she sure helped her mama. She would do everything. She was just a little mother hen. That's Louise Vassar. She is Deborah's mother, and she still lives in Oxford, Mississippi, where Lorenzen grew up. We went to visit her on one of our many trips to Oxford. We are spending our second full day in Oxford, Mississippi, and we are en route this morning to visit Mrs. Louise Vassar, who is Lorenzen's grandmother. So Miss Vassar, um says that she helped raise Lorenzen. When most people think of Oxford, images of Ole Miss and the square may come to mind. But the Vassars live in the county, where the roads are still narrow and winding. 
We passed trailers, other small houses, then a huge white home that seemed very out of place. The destination is on your right. Miss Vassar's home was about two doors down. We set up in her dining room. I'm Mary Louise Vassar, and I don't know what to say by myself. It has become somewhat of a makeshift memorial to Lorenzen. I was one of Gunya's hard because he gave me this, this, this table. Full of pictures and mementos of her grandson. You see, there's flowers there that for me soon. I've had them sitting in a chair because He said in that chair, right there, those flowers in, he never said nothing else. And since he'd been dead, nobody sits in that chair. Miss Vassar doesn't look anywhere near her age of 87. When we talked, it was just days before her 88th birthday. She's a thin lady with curly gray hair, and she's tall, like Deborah and Lorenzen. On the day we spoke, Miss Vassar was wearing a Remember Lorenzen t-shirt. She says she has plenty of them. Miss Vassar called Lorenzen her heart. Because I raised four children, then I had five children when Lorenzen was born. But she never expected her oldest daughter, who was just 16, to become a mother. Deborah was too busy raising her siblings. Well, I worked at two or three jobs. I worked at Roadstone, I worked at a restaurant. I worked at in homes and everything. And I just worked night and day to try to support my family. Because <laughs> my mama worked two two jobs, seven days a week. She walked, she had one day off and that was Sunday. That's Deborah's younger sister, Zetty. She said Deborah was truly like her second mother. I would have cramps in my feet at night, and Deborah would come and sit on the bed and work them out. In addition to cooking and cleaning, Deborah also took up sewing, a skill that would later really come in handy. I'd buy material, and she'd, buy, she'd make our clothes. That child could do anything she wanted to do. She was so smart, she could do anything. You name it, Deborah, Deborah Lorraine could do it. Deborah describes herself as a homebody. She read a lot. Her younger sister, Zetty, was more outgoing. And one of her main interests, sports. So when Zetty brought a boyfriend home one day, he brought a friend with him who would become Lorenzen's father. <laughs> well, tell us about the first time you saw Herb and talked to him. I was laying across my bed, and my sister came, and I got somebody that wants you to meet. I'm like, oh, who is it now? They always trying to get me out of the house. And then I turned around, I saw this fella. Hmm, he lookable. You know, hurt your eyes. He right, I look all right, right nice. Got a little height on him. That's good. So what's up? And the rest just was history. What did you like about it? His height. Because, you know, I'm, I'm six feet. You know, that's hard to find somebody taller than six feet. 
So like, okay, and he got, you heard what I say, and he got some height on him. <laughs> yes, ma'am, I'm six feet tall, so I got to find me six, three, six, four, six, five. You know, I thought I was going to find a six, six and a half. He always want me to throw the half in the Zeddy chuckles a bit when I ask her if she's the one responsible for introducing Deborah and Herb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's been a long time ago. I had a boyfriend, played basketball. My sister met him. Then we met, introduced Well, I don't know how we heard her and it got hooked up. But one thing about their relationship that would come to haunt Deborah later with Lorenzen and Shara was the age factor. Herb was like kind of like Lorenzen and Shara. Herbert Wright. Herbert Wright. I'm the father of Lorenzen Wright. Getting Herb Wright to talk about his life and his family wasn't easy. He shied away from any sort of publicity, especially since Lorenzen's murder. Herb doesn't like to talk about what happened. We tried for years to get Herb's thoughts on the Lorenzen Wright case and the arrest. He kept saying no. So when I got a text from his wife one day that Herb would talk, I was shocked. And we're here. I didn't waste any time making the drive to Herb Wright's home in South Memphis. It sits off a quiet street and is surrounded by an iron gate. Hi. That's a big dog. It was actually Herb's wife and daughter who we expected to talk to that day. Lisa Wright invites us in. Thank you. How are you? I'm April. There's a ramp at the front door. It's for Herb's wheelchair. He was paralyzed in 1983, shot by a man he put out of a basketball game. I'm running and all of a sudden I went down. Herb was standoffish at first, still not comfortable with what we were doing. But walking down memory lane about his old days in Oxford, basketball, and Lorenzen's early years, that was different. Of course, those early days also included meeting Deborah Vassar. How did you end up meeting her? Well, Kenny Mullins was his name. He played basketball. He didn't play for Ole Miss, but when we played around, you know, in the summer or in the off season. He asked me to go riding with him. He was going out of his girlfriend's house, and that's how it happened. I'm, that's how I met uh, Deborah. So it was almost like double date. It was almost like a setup. Herbert Wright was a basketball player at Ole Miss, but believe it or not, Herb didn't even play basketball in high school. That's right. The man who would eventually influence his son's style of play, literally shaping the player he became didn't even pick up a basketball until much later in life. No. I played no basketball in high school. Herb actually ran track at Melrose High School. He played some intramural basketball, but after graduating, he went straight to work after having his first daughter. That time I was working construction, concrete, pouring concrete. That's a hard job. It's so hot out there. Take the water hose and head down. And in about 15 minutes, you bone dry again. So that was that was rough. I said, I got to do better than this. <laughs> this is a little too much here. But soon his basketball hobby would pay off in the form of a scholarship after getting noticed by then Shelby State coach Joe Proctor. After I almost rearranged his backboards, 
and getting ready to go, you know, trying to play like, you know, hey, I'm finna head out. He cut me off at the door. Said, uh, where do you play? I said, I don't play anywhere. He said, well, we got a scholarship for you. I said, really? It's great. I said, great. I said, so... That's how I got started. Herb would later go on to have a record-setting career at Shelby State. The former track star could outjump anybody in the gym, and rebounding would become the centerpiece of his career and eventually Lorenzen's. He played two years at Shelby State, then got a scholarship to Ole Miss in 1974. Fell in love with the campus. It was totally different from what I had thought. Herb Wright played basketball for the Ole Miss Rebels from 1974 to 1976. Two good years. Well, I guess that's where Lorenzen popped up. On November 4th, 1975, Deborah Vassar gave birth to an eight-pound baby boy named Lorenzen Cavett Vern Gagne Jabbar Vassar. Lorenzen is from my uncle. Cavett from Dick Cavett, the Dick Cavett show back in the day. And Vern Gagne, that's another uncle Jabbar's for career. So Lorenzen's two uncles are his namesakes, and one of them is named after a wrestler, Vern Gagne. Yes, it's true, just Google the name. And besides the nickname Wren, Ganya is what stuck. In fact, it's what his family and close friends from Mississippi still call Lorenzen today. And you'll hear his name referenced a lot like that in this podcast. Ganya, when you said Ganya, you from home. And while most of Lorenzen's name was influenced by Deborah's side of the family, both parents agree on where Lorenzen got his looks. Look, yes, he didn't look nothing like me. That's her child. And I went to the hospital when he was born. Pretty much tell. Uh, he's got a lot of right genes, and I could look at him and tell. He looked like one of my baby pictures. Uh, one of his had a lazy eye, hands, feet. And Herb said he has some, something with something that runs in the right family in his eyes. I don't know. I ain't seen it yet. When it came to delivering the baby, Deborah says everyone was there. Herb was going to go in there with me. And he went through the first set of double doors. But when we got to go to the actual room room, he was like, oh, no, Deb, I can't do this. He kissed me on my forehead and sent my mama in there. She stayed in there about a couple hours with me. And then when the pain started hurting real bad, she was like, oh, it was good going in. Wasn't it? But it's going to be hell coming out. She said that about three times. I said, Mama, go out there and get baby. You stay out there. Send her in. No, I want to hear that one in pain. We told you at the beginning of this episode that Deborah went into labor not long after actually telling her mom she was pregnant at 16. She said she was terrified. What did you think she was going to do? Beat me to death. So Deborah says she kept her pregnancy a secret. How did you manage to hide it for nine months? Because, like I said, she was always working. When she would be at home, we'd be going or vice versa. And remember that sewing skill? That's when Deborah really put it to good use. So she didn't have to buy no new bigger clothes because I made them myself. Deborah says Herb was ecstatic about being a father. It was fun because Herb rubbed my stomach all the all the time. I told him when I had this baby, I was going to see you got a fingerprint on me somewhere because you don't rub this head ball. Yes, he was ecstatic. And then it was a boy. He was like, oh, Lord. Boy, boy, boy. He was so happy when he got it. It was a boy. So what was it like uh, once once Deborah uh, had him? You said it was like you had another baby in the house. Oh, number joy. We was in that middle room in there, and he was up there in the crib. Deborah himself, we stand up there talking. 
How he did it, I don't know. But you see that square right up there on Grand? He just tumbled out of the crib. But how he did it, we don't know. And we both standing right up there. He's actually a little thing, old oh, boy, my little punk. Honey, it had been 10 years since the baby was in that house. Everybody was ecstatic. You would agree, you would thought we had some money. We had it going fixed up. Ganya was just a baby. He was just our outside kick. My, our little baby. He got everything. He was joyful, he was playful, but he always wanted a ball. He always wanted a ball. He always wanted a ball. What would he do with it? He grew out there when he was when he was crawling, he gets that ball and slide that ball in front of him and then he'd crawl and get it. He was just a bundle of joy. I can't remember him ever, ever had another toy that he liked like he did. And Deborah says early on, his dad, Herb, was introducing him to the world of basketball. He was four or five days old, days. Not, not two weeks, days. And he had him up on his arm with a basketball rub in his hand over the basketball. My mama said, boy, that boy can't even see it. He said, but he can know the text of a basketball. Show did, and the rest is history. Deborah was still a high school student, which meant caring for a baby and going to school at the same time. She says they got help from family and even the old Miss coaches' wives. The black women worked, you know, so it wasn't no, like black women sitting at home, baby, sitting no children. That wasn't going down. You either had to get a girl that had already had a baby that was at home, or you had to fix something out. So we figured out old Miss coaches, why the wives. Deborah said she'd taken advantage of summer school classes the year prior, so those extra credits put her ahead, and she technically was finished with school in December, but graduated with her class in May with Lorenzen in tow. Getting passed around, passed around like a sack of potato. Everybody had, everybody. I wanted to get off that stage so bad and tell them, just let him be still. While Deborah said she wanted to pursue a college degree, she had to go to work to take care of Lorenzen. Herb, meanwhile, finished his senior year at Ole Miss and tried out for an NBA team, but didn't make the final cut. So he headed to Finland to play professional basketball. Usinkapunki, translated means new town. They're on the southern coast of Finland. And I played two years for them. And, you know, leading scorer, rebounder for the team, both years. Herb and Deborah weren't a couple anymore, and the difference in time zones made it more difficult to communicate. But Deborah says Herb always wanted to hear little Lorenzen's voice. I'll call you when I won't talk to you. No, I won't talk to my child. I just want to hear him on the phone. Boy, this boy ain't doing nothing. I'm making him laugh and talk so you can hear the volume. Harold was good, but he wasn't, he wasn't as good as he could be. But he was good. As Lorenzen grew, so did his passion for playing sports. Because he was an exciting child. You know, he always was in some kind of sport, so he was always with me going, doing something. I'm Michael Gibson from Oxford, Mississippi. That's my, me and Lorenzen were best friends. We been friends since third grade. Michael Gibson, who everybody calls Mike G, would later go on to work and live with Lorenzen. We interviewed him at his home outside Atlanta. He was just always a genuine guy. He always had my back, always had his back. And it was, it, the basketball also put it together. We played ball together, and we just always played ball every single day. Mike G says he even remembers how the two created a makeshift goal to play on. I can recall him coming over to my house, and we put up a bike rim on the tree. 
that was the first time I ever played basketball in life. We did that together, put up a bike rim around a tree, and we just started to play. Besides sports, Mike says they did regular kid stuff. We'd be wrestling, we'd be jumping off trees. And Deborah says Lorenzen was a good student who at an early age showed determination and desire to be the best. He always wanted to be better than, better than, better than. And he developed a love for nice clothes, something that would become a bit of a trademark during his NBA career. I got this picture, this boy, I, like I say, he liked to be dressed up. You see, he got on a three-piece suit. And all other boys got on shirts with ties, and that's it. But he figured out he got to have the whole suit on to take his picture. That's why I told people he didn't just start with this dressing. He'd been dressing like that even since he was young. Lorenzen was primarily raised by his mother, grandmother, and extended family during those early years. He spent summers with Herb in Memphis, but had other father figures like his Uncle Lee. We had, it was 10 years between him and my brother. So my brother was handicapped. But they were still close. So close, years later, Lorenzen would ask his uncle to move with him to California after getting drafted, which was no surprise to his family since Lorenzen had literally carried his Uncle Lee on his back. Because we had a gym up the street from where we lived in, in the projects, in the semi-projects. And he would carry my brother on his back because my brother was handicapped. He would carry him in his crutches to the, to the gym with him so he could watch him. <laughs> Play ball. He said he was a good luck charm. But before his big basketball days, Lorenzen played another sport too. When he was younger, playing football and basketball, and they overlap. And I told him to decide which one you're going to be doing. You're going to be playing the end of the football season or you're going to be playing the beginning of the basketball season. That's on you. Coach Jimmy Murphy has been with Lafayette schools for 45 years. Coach Lorenzen in football in seventh and eighth grade, and all we would tell them is just the quarterbacks just throw it up and let him go up and get it, and that's what we would do. How tall was he then, like oh, in seventh grade? Oh, gosh, he was probably 6'3 anyway. He was always tall. Well, you know, when you – I think he grew like seven inches over a summer. Look at him in the bed and he was growing. <clears throat> And I knew that I knew enough to make him into a ball player. Lorenzen played varsity basketball for Lafayette High School as an eighth grader. I saw when he was in junior high, for real, for real, and then he had, they wanted him at the high school to play. You know, he couldn't go. He could listen, you can't walk through the high school hall because you're in junior high school, but you can go to the high school gym and break with the high schoolers. And people would try to pick on him because of that. Because he couldn't go, you know, up. Because he was supposed to be up there. You, in junior high school, you're supposed to be over there. Not a high school right here. He could, like, walk through the halls. No, that's a violation. Despite Lorenzen's height and talent, though, he wasn't necessarily a natural. Here's his childhood friend and Lafayette teammate, Michael Gibson. Early off, he was clumsy as I don't know what. He had to work at it. And it took time for his basketball skills to catch up with his body. I just have him and his cousin run from the back porch down to my barn. It was all grass then. He would fall over those big feet about three, two, three times before he'd get down there and another two or three before he'd get back up. But as, as we know, later on, he could run with the best of them. I think once he realized that, hey, I'm pretty good at basketball and I can be great, I think that pushed him, that motivated him 
to be the best he can be. Um, even I can recall in sophomore, junior year, I saw a, a Lorenzo that I didn't know. I'm like, whoa, this guy's he's a beast, and he, he knows that. Deborah knew he had something when Lafayette's principal actually stopped a suspension after Deborah said she would transfer Lorenzen out of the school before she would allow him to be suspended for fighting. I told the, the principal, if you're going to suspend her, I'm going to let him enroll him into the city school. He said, can you go stop those other two parents? I want to stop them. He said, the suspension is over. As of today, tell them boys, get out that car and get in the class right now. I, my son was not going to be at home doing nothing when he could be deferring his basketball skills. Uh, he wasn't going to let them go, go play against each other. We were going to beat the brakes off of them. It wasn't let him go to the city school. Did you realize then when they said, turned around that suspension, that Lorenzo must have something special? Hey, I promise you, me, my little mind itself, I'm not thinking this. I'm just saying they just want him back. I'm not thinking past that rim, but as years went on, it was like the light. I was like, that boy was good then. Coach Mike Foster was Lorenzen's basketball coach at Lafayette. And uh, he had great worth ethics. He always wanted to be in the gym. You know, you couldn't keep him out of there. It was, it was, he was just that type of, of kid. Foster, who's now retired and spends most of his time gardening or woodworking. As I said earlier, I like to tinker with everybody. You got a farm out okay. there, don't you? Also recalls Lorenzen having a special drive. Well, I think he knew what he wanted to do. Now, he, he admired his dad a whole lot, and he wanted to be as good as he was. I remember him talking to me about his dad holding the record at uh, the college that he played at, and I can't remember the name of the college right now, but uh, was it Shelby State? Shelby State. And, uh, but I, I thought that was it. But he wanted to be known as a rebounder, not not just a star. And despite being the star, he wouldn't he wouldn't sell his person. You know, he 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 wanted the team to do well. It wasn't about Lorenzen. But when the team didn't do well, Deborah says Lorenzen took it personal. He was tough on himself. Yes, yes, yes. He thought the basketball revolved around him. If he don't do this, they ain't gonna win it. Foster's first year was Lorenzen's sophomore year. The same season, the team made a run at the state title. It's three minutes left in the game. We had a six-point lead. Lorenzen dunked the ball, and he kind of hung on the rim a little bit. And I never will forget it. And he, they gave him a technical foul for it. And that made him have four fouls. So I was debating to myself on the bench. I said, you know, if I take him out, we can't win. But if I leave him in there and he fouls out, we're sure not going to win. So I called him out. I took him out. And just like that, Lafayette's championship season came to an end. I think we got beat two. Um, two points. And uh, I have regretted lots of times just not calling time out and saying, look, don't foul. While Lafayette season may have been over, Lorenzen's college recruiting was just picking up. I got I got phone calls from from everybody. You name it. As a sophomore, Lorenzen had already become a big time prospect. You know, all the SEC schools knew about him. Kansas, uh, uh, Kentucky, uh, uh, of course Memphis State. Uh, I'm trying to think, Georgetown. Uh, 
I don't know if you want to put this in there or not, but Georgetown called me one night, I was at home, and they said, Coach Foster, just how much money would it take to get Lorenzen Wright to to uh, sign with Georgetown? Serious. I'm not going to call any coach's name, but he was serious, dead serious. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, at, at this point in his life, what's it going to be like the next two years? And that was, that was after, after our, our season. Colleges weren't the only ones vying for Lorenzen's attention. Lorenzen had so many girls, it was ridiculous. So were the young ladies. I'm like, what is it? Because he, he ugly, he tall, you know? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, but um, I don't know. He just had that personality, he had that gift to where it just really attracted women, you know? And other people around him as well, not just women, but uh, once once you meet Lorenzen, you genuinely fell in love with him. But some stood out more than others. In high school, he was in love with um, um, a girl that played on the girls' team, Gloria. They had a long relationship. You know, he liked her. Gloria Sanders was two years ahead of Lorenzen at Lafayette, but still remembers the first day they met. When I met him, he came through the basketball gym, and I think he was in the eighth grade, and I was in the 10th. Glory would become Lorenzen's first real girlfriend. That's one thing I, I would always remember about him is, is his eyes, the color, the brightness, and that beautiful smile. On the mantle at Deborah's house, there's a picture of the two of them from prom night. They're all smiles and all dressed up. Glory was one of Lorenzen's girlfriends Deborah actually liked. She was respectful, sweet, and family-oriented. She liked to talk with family, be around family all the time, like go fishing with her brothers and stuff like that. She was family-oriented, that's what I really liked. When we asked Glory to meet with us to share memories of Lorenzen, she readily agreed. And this was um, his basketball picture in high school. He really fought for his own. If, if it was something that he really wanted, he was just determined. He said, when I grow up, I want to play NBA basketball. But to get there, Herb would tell Lorenzen he needed to focus even more on basketball, which meant less time for their budding friendship. But when the daddy been as strong-minded about it, and I, I realized that he was, at, even then, I understood that his career was at hand. Herb had other plans for Lorenzen outside of Lafayette and Oxford, and the rumor mill started to churn. But uh, Herb actually uh, had talked to me at one of the games and told me that, that there was a good chance that Lorenzen might not be back for his senior year. Uh, he always wanted to be on his dad, just being a boy. And then he saw a chance he could come up here and go to school and his daddy could actually see him play a game. You know, after you've been paid all these years and your dad have never seen you, you know, you want to see him now. So that was what that was about. And that's when Lorenzen Vassar became Lorenzen Wright. Lorenzen wanted to be his dad his last time. You know, no doubt about it, he wanted to be a Wright. So that's what he wanted, I said, okay. But his name wasn't the only thing about to change. On the next episode of Killing Lorenzen, a new city and a new girl. I was like, boy, 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 I see why your brain the way it is. She done put some stuff on you you never had put on you in your life. She done blowed your mind. Killing Lorenzen, Love, Basketball, Murder, is a production of WREG-TV in Memphis. It is reported and hosted by us, 
Zanetta Lowe, and April Thompson. Our editors are Michael Gates and Josh Strawn. Original music, Lorenzen's Theme, by Boo Mitchell and Uriah Mitchell of Royal Studios, Memphis, Tennessee. Cover art by Corinne Zeta. David Royer is in charge of web and social. Eric Lipford handles our file research. And thanks to our colleagues Alex Coleman, Caleb Hilliard, and Sean Scott for their assistance. Jessica Davis is our intern. And none of this would be possible without the support of our assistant news director, Sarah Van Arnhem, and our news director, Bruce Moore. While you're here, be sure to subscribe to our podcast, rate it, and share it.